Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 10 to the end of the chapter. Hear God's holy word. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. As he dreamed, uh, excuse me, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the time. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. The reality that God is with us is the best, sweetest treasure I think that we have in this life. God is with us. That is reality for us as believers in Christ. I mean, what is better than having that, believing that, and living in that reality? You know, without that, 
Like life is so impoverished. We're poor. We're, uh, our lives are barren. It's such a great treasure to know that the Lord is with us. We are His. He is ours. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And when we believe that in the midst of all our situations and circumstances, and our, our hard circumstances especially, it changes everything. It changes us. How's that? Last Sunday, we were um, beginning our look at this chapter, and we saw um, Isaac giving those parting words to Jacob and, and parting words of blessing as Jacob's getting ready to, to, to move away, to leave for uh, Haran, to try to find a wife, and of course, the real reason, to try to save his life. Uh, his own brother is uh, eager to kill him. And uh, at this point, he's on the road. He's on his way. He's left home. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily needed to sneak away under cover of darkness, but uh, uh, we find him here on the road uh, at night. Um, Esau was indeed uh, wanting to kill him and would have done so as soon as his Father died, their father. Uh, the tension must have been pretty thick there before uh, his departure. Emotions were running high. There was so much deception in that family. Everybody deceiving everybody else, it seems. And he's gone now. It must have been a very sad time. He probably... Uh, knew or suspected that he might never see his parents again. He had a long, uh, uncertain journey ahead of him. He must have felt that way in any case. I have to think he must have sensed some guilt as well. He must have felt the guilt and the burden of what he'd done, the way he'd treated uh, his father, the way he'd treated his brother, uh, the 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 feeling of knowing that your brother hates you enough to want to kill you. That was weighing on him as he made his journey. At least we hope he had a sense of that. His sin had caused all this. And it was ultimately a result of his unbelief in God and God's word that led him to take matters into his own hands, that led him to um, deceive Isaac and enrage his brother Esau. I wonder if the words, what if, were on his mind as he makes this journey. What if I had done things different? What if I had just trusted the Lord and waited for him to bring his, his promise uh, to fulfillment in my life? The older shall serve the younger. But he didn't, and now he's, he's living out the consequences. He's on the road, he's on the run, he's all alone. He's facing uh, danger, hardships. It certainly wasn't as comfortable as it was at home. 
future may have looked very frightening to him and uncertain to a man who uh, wanted certainty. This was a man who wanted control. He wanted to take control and make things happen. He's in a real spot here now, alone, out in the wild, in the dark. And so he lays down to sleep with just a rock for a pillow. He must have felt pretty low at this point. But right there in that point, at that dark point in his life, God manifested his grace to Jacob. Somehow Jacob managed to get to sleep. Probably physical exhaustion helped. In verse 12, we're told he had this dream in which he saw a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reached to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. People have called this Jacob's ladder. It was some kind of a a ladder. Maybe uh, we think of what ladders look like to us. Maybe it was like that, or maybe it was something more like the, uh, the, the, the ziggurats with the, the built in a, a step fashion. Uh, we don't really know. It doesn't matter. But on these steps, going heavenward, were angels. It was swarming with angels going up and down. And at the top, stood God directing these angels. And many believe, and I believe, that this vision was meant to really reassure Jacob of God's presence and of God's providence and perfect caretaking over his life. One commentator says the the stairway symbolizes the communion that God has with his people. The angels are ascending and descending on it. They're God's agents that he sends out to do his will and to serve the saints. This image, this vision is a kind of reminder to Jacob of God's personal care for him. God is very real in his life, whether he knew it or not. This was a comforting vision for him. And he needed it. He's alone. Again, he's away from home, his whole family. The road ahead uh, probably looked very scary, as it does to us when we forget the Lord. But God meets him here to remind him of his presence and his perfect care. It's like a vision that Isaac had earlier, a vision of God when, when he was fleeing from uh, a famine in the land. God told him similarly there. He told him, I will be with you. I will bless you. Well, the thing to know and the thing that Jacob was that same God, the God of his father, and his father, him, was now with Jacob. And he gives him this assurance, the same assurance that he gave to his father. And what good timing it was. 
Jacob must have been at his lowest point here at this time. And God met him right then and there in that hardest time of life. God lifts up his head and gives him his gracious word. In the dream, Jacob's eyes followed the ladder up to the top where he saw the Lord standing there. And the Lord spoke in this wonderful covenant language. He said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And he goes on to reiterate these great promises. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And your offspring and and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then he gives these great personal assurances. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. These are wonderful, gracious words. God is giving to this young man. Even while Jacob is uh, um, undergoing, I think we can fairly say he's undergoing some chastening here. He's undergoing a real trial, and it's a result, again, of his own sin. He's, he's, He's like an outcast here at this point, and yet God graciously comes and gives these very sweet words, comforting words of promise and assurance. And that's the intent. The intent is to to comfort and to strengthen Jacob, to strengthen his faith. God is being so very good to this man, this sinful man. Let's look at the content of these promises. First, God speaks of who he is. He reminds Jacob, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He uses his covenant name here. And this reminds us of God's special relationship to his people, his committed covenant relationship with them, his promises to them his faithfulness to them. In verse 13, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And here God is making it clear that he's promising Jacob the very same covenant promises that he made before to his father and to his grandfather. The same God that was with them is now with Jacob, and he promises to be with him. What a comfort this must have been to him. And he goes on and says, I'm not going to stop with you, but your descendants as well. I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. They'll be like the dust of the earth, beyond number. 
Again, God's just reiterating the old promises that he made to Abraham. They're continuing. He's going to continue to keep his word. And now these very same promises are passed on to Jacob. And they're not just personal promises for him. They also include the promises for his offspring. These are promises of a nation, the nation of Israel. But it's even more than that. These are spiritual promises that speak of more than the nation of Israel. They speak of the spiritual inheritance of God's people. And ultimately, that inheritance is not limited to a, a small portion of land in the Middle East. It includes the whole world, even all creation. That's how God is ultimately going to fulfill this promise. Canaan is going to be inherited by the physical descendants of Abraham, but ultimately that land along with the rest of the world and all God's creation will be inherited by all who become the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we do that. We become those spiritual descendants of Abraham through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ is the way that the descendants of Jacob would become a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. He is Jacob's descendant. He is the, the true seed of Abraham, and he came to save a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation. He is the Savior of the world. And he's the ultimate fulfillment of this vision. As we read in John 1, Jesus told Nathanael that he would see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It definitely develops this old vision that Jacob had. Jesus is referring back to that, of course. This dream is ultimately about Jesus Christ. He is that ladder. He is that stairway to heaven. He is the way, the only way to God. And we can't climb up to God, but He has come down to us. And His coming is the only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can have that living, reconciled fellowship and communion with God. It's through Him that that reality becomes ours, that God is with us always, always. He never leaves us or forsakes us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, next, God says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised to you. Again, just more beautiful reassurance of God's presence and protection 
and providence going forward. Think about this promise, though. I am always with you. That's what Jacob needed more than anything. More than any of the the details about the future, he needed to know that God was with him. He must have been so greatly comforted by that. This is a promise that belongs to each of us as believers in Christ. We need to believe it and enjoy it in our lives. God is you if you are united to His Son by faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and believe this reality that God is your God and He is with you and will always be with you. What's God doing here by speaking these things to to Jacob? He's comforting him. He's assuring him of his presence and help. But he's doing something else that we should notice here. I believe he's putting his word front and center into Jacob's life. He's injecting his word into the, the center of this young, sinful man's life. Jacob hasn't really been living that way. He hasn't really been living by God's word, hasn't been trusting God's word. Seems he really hasn't been thinking about God's presence in his life much at all, but God is changing that. God is making his word and his promises to be real and central for Jacob. He's teaching him to believe his word and to live by it. God did the same thing with Abraham and with Isaac. Remember, he took Abraham from being a, just a self-sufficient moon worshiper, just an idolater who didn't even know the true God. And he came to him and spoke to him. And he taught him to believe his word and to live by and trust in God's word. And God's word became the anchor of his life. Trusting in God's word despite his difficult, dangerous circumstances, that's the life that God taught Abraham to live. And and now he's beginning to teach Jacob. He's teaching him to live by faith, faith in the word of God. And I think that's always how it is with us as God's people in every age. He's doing this. He's making his word to be at the center of our lives. Is that happening in your life? You know, nothing else will carry you through this life. Nothing else will get you through the hard times in this life. You need God's word to be front and center for you. You need to be meditating on it, believing it, relying upon the promises of God. That's exactly what Jacob needed. He needed God's word. That's what we all need. 
we need to cling to God's wonderful word and his gracious promises to us. When God's word is central in your life, when you make it a priority, reading it, studying it, hearing it preached, believing it, applying it in your life, obeying it, your faith will grow. You'll grow in grace. Your life will be transformed. You'll grow in the knowledge of your God. Next, we see Jacob's response to this revelation from God, God making his word known to him. Jacob woke up from his dream, and he thought, he says some things here that are uh, probably a little, uh, maybe, maybe he's still a little groggy uh, coming out of his sleep. These are, these are not, um, uh, not, not all the clearest thoughts. He's also young in his faith, and uh, he has a ways to grow. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. None other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. It wasn't necessarily the place, but he was suddenly aware of God's presence. And he's amazed. And maybe he's partly amazed because he knows he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve these wonderful promises of God. You know, it's an evidence of God's incredible grace to us that he promises to be with us. And we forget that reality so often. We forget that he's present in our lives at all times, and especially in in troubling times, we're prone to get our eyes on the, the circumstances and we forget that he's with us. We don't take that comfort that we could have by reminding ourselves of that truth of his word. We need to remind ourselves of that. At all times, he's with us. When you suffer, he's with you. God is there. When you've sinned and you're ashamed of your sin and you feel far from God, he's with you. He's always with us. If only we believe it, we would have such greater peace. Jacob's beginning to believe. And he's so overwhelmed by the experience that he, he's struck with fear. This fear seems to give way to, to an awe and adoration of the Lord. He got up and sets up this monument takes the stone that was under his head and set it up as a pillar, poured oil on it. He called the place Bethel, which means house of God. Now, setting up the pillar, it seemed to be an act of worship on his part. He's, he's worshiping the Lord. He's in awe of the Lord here. Uh, and he sets up this pillar as a remembrance but he also makes this vow. And that shows, uh, these two things together show that he's responding 
to God's Word in a good way. He's responding to God's Word by committing himself to God. God has spoken to him of God's commitment to Jacob. And now Jacob responds, building this memorial, worshiping, and making this vow, committing himself to God. And that's a good pattern for us to follow. We need to respond to the God who has revealed himself to us in his word and supremely through Jesus Christ, his son. He's revealed himself in Christ and in the gospel. We need to respond by committing ourselves to him. He wants us to commit our lives to him. He's been so very gracious to us. His commitment to us is total. He gave his own son up to the death of the cross for us. His love is without limit. The cross shows us that. He gave his very best. His commitment is not in question. So in light of all that he's done for us, he calls you to respond and give your life to him. Jacob's vow is a a first step in showing his commitment to the Lord. And here again, I think his words are a little little messy, not not exactly uh, uh, perfectly orthodox theology here. He says some things that are, it's a little rocky. It's, 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 it's not ideal language. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now again, he's He's responding to the Lord's revelation, and it's, it's good. It's an appropriate thing to respond to God's gracious revelation. But, you know, the kind of conditional language that he uses here just doesn't sit right with us. If God does this, then I'll follow him. We don't like the sound of that. That's not the language of, of faith it sounds like he's bargaining with God. Uh, it kind of sounds like vintage Jacob. This is the kind of thing he would say. He was very selfish. He's out for himself, what he can get. But it's not all that. Remember, this is a young man. This is a man who's just beginning to know the Lord, it seems. This is a man who has a lot of growing to do. And this was, this was how he responded. This was how he spoke. This was really all he could do. But it's, it's a start, isn't it? Just like we all are as baby Christians. It's a little rocky. It's not perfect. But his response does show some beautiful things here. Notice it's clear in his response that he was listening to God. 
He was listening to God's promises. What he's saying here is, Lord, if you'll do these things that you have promised, then indeed you will be my God. He's responding to what God has promised to do. Saying, do what you said, Lord. Keep your promises to me. Bring your word to pass in my life. And I will be yours. And you will be mine. That's good. That's a good example for us to follow. He's beginning to trust in God's word. And he's praying that way. We might say he's praying the Bible. Lord, bring your word to pass in my life. Lord, I'm going to trust in you to provide for me just as you said in your word. That's good. We need to be doing exactly that. Lord, help me to resist temptation to sin in my life just as you promised to help us in your word. Lord, give me grace to endure my trials as you promised to give more grace to your people. Lord, keep your word in my life. We need to be pleading with God just like that. Pleading with him to keep his word in our lives. Praying the Bible. That's exactly what we see Jacob doing here. In a little bit of a rocky way, but he's doing it. And that is worthy of imitation. We need to be doing that very same thing. I'll close with a quote from Ian Duguid commenting on this passage. He writes, if, if Abraham was a picture of the man of faith, then Jacob is a picture of grace. The schemer whose schemes have backfired is now a fugitive. Yet this is the one that God chooses to reveal himself to. And his grace will not be without effect in his life. The blessings that Jacob sought to wrangle for himself will ultimately be given to him. But they will not come through might or craftiness, but by the Spirit of God and by grace. Ultimately, grace comes to Jacob just as it comes to us through the death of the Son of God who came to restore communion between God and man. Jesus is the one who is the way and the truth and the life. He is the real stairway to heaven. He is the one through whom we must come if we want to come to God. In Him alone are found security and significance. Blessing for ourselves and for others. Indeed, every spiritual blessing is ours in Him. 
And these are blessings that you cannot trick your way into, as Jacob tried to do. Rather, they are blessings that have been freely given by God to all that he has chosen and called and whom he brings into a relationship with him through the word of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for his wonderful grace to us. We have that grace through the gospel. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your Son. And in all the providences of our lives, we pray that you would make your grace known to us. Do this so that we will learn not to depend on ourselves anymore like we're so prone to do, but teach us to depend upon you and teach us to live by your word in all our circumstances. And above all, teach us our need for the Lord Jesus Christ and that you've provided all that we need in him. And we ask it in his name, in the name of our great, gracious Savior who died for us. In Jesus' name, amen.